Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to open your word. And thank you for your word that you've given us so we'll know what you would have us to do and think and ask you to lead and guide us as we study in your son's precious name. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 121. We're only about three weeks, three, maybe four weeks away from finishing Psalm 119. <laughs> Psalm 121. <laughs> no, not months. We're down to weeks. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Be not, let not the proud oppress me. My eyes fail for your salvation and for the word of your righteousness. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you, Lord, to work, for they have made void your law. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold and above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all your precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. So we're going to look at this. This is the letter Ain. Literally, it means to, to see or the eye. And um, in verse 121, I have done judgment and justice. Lead me not to, to my oppressors. And it's kind of an interesting statement because when we follow God, when we obey God, we will generate enemies of some nature that, you know, some people that are very physically enemies, some that just don't like us. But when you stand for God, there will be people who are going to be irritated. Plain and simple. Uh, it's been something I've noticed here. There are people in, in chloride that will not come to this church because I call sin, certain sins a sin, and they go, that's my lifestyle, and you can't call it a sin, so I'm not coming to this church. And I feel sorry that that's their attitude, but I have to teach what God says. Plain and simple. When you take a stand out in this world, you will upset certain people because you stand with God. And we're going to see this over and over in our lifetime. There are people that when you say that fornication's a sin, you've got many people that are living together and are going to be upset that you're telling them what they're doing is sin. We've got many Christians who are living together in, in fornication that are living in sin and don't like it to be, hear it be called sin. When you call homosexuality sin, there's going to be many people who are going to get irritated and say, well, you can't do that. Well, sorry, God says it, not just me, and I have to agree with God. When you tell a businessman that they have to tell the truth and be honest in all of their dealings in the business world, they'll get upset with you sometimes because they're doing it the way the world says. Do, what, do whatever you have to do to be successful. Uh, I know a Christian man who runs a business, and he tells his salesman, tell them what they need to hear. Just make the sale. And he'll even tell them, you can lie to the world. You know, well, he, I don't know where he got this Quran activity that you can lie to the unbelievers, but, and how do you know that you're talking to an unbeliever? You know, God says we're to be truthful. Plain and simple. We are to be truthful no matter what. So we have to say what God says, and when we take our stand with God, Many times people are going to be put out by it. And David's saying, leave me not to my oppressors. You know, God, uh, I stood for you. Don't let them control. And very good, very strong prayer. And then he says, I love this one in verse 20, be surety for your servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. 
Now, surety means to be the pledge, be the interest. He's saying be the pledge uh, or the interest. God, you are my covering. You are my backing for, for me, for your servant for good. You are the one that keeps me. And I love this. God is the one that allows us to do good, always. I can do nothing without Christ that's going to stand. And we need to really understand that everything that we can do is done because God does it, if it's good. Because in Isaiah, it tells us all our, all our righteousness is filthy rags. Nothing that I do that we, I would consider good to God is worth anything. And we've got to really understand that because people will all the time say, well, I've got to go do this, and you know, I'm trying real hard. I'm striving to do what God wants me to do. Well, my answer to that is quit striving, quit working, let God crucify your flesh, and let him work through you. Because the only thing that's going to stand when we stand at the Bema seat of Christ, which is where Christians stand, we stand at the Bema seat of Christ, not at the white throne judgment, will be what he has done in our life what we have allowed him to do because our righteousness is filthy rags and it'll burn up at the bema seat. But when God works through us, we see righteousness. All right, so as we continue on this, we look and he says, be you my surety, my pledge, my, you know, my promise, my interest, and let not the proud or the arrogant oppress or exhort, uh, oppress, uh, extort or, or defraud me. How easy is it for us so often to be defrauded from people, you know, fall into people's traps? One of the things I love about following God is when the Spirit talks to you and gives you that little warning that something's wrong, even though you don't know necessarily what the warrant, what is wrong, okay. it's just in the, all of a sudden you go, there's something not right about this. There's something not right about what this person's saying. Even though they've said nothing wrong, nothing bad, but all of a sudden the Spirit just says, Put your guards up. Be ready. And, you know, this is the great thing about God. He will protect his children if we take the time to listen to his words. And God almost always speaks in a very still, small, calm voice. You know, he doesn't come yelling in our lifetime, life and saying, you know, with a loud klaxon saying, you know, warning, 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 or battle stations. He speaks very <laughs> quietly and says pay attention but it's that but it is that idea of just listening to his voice and it could be something coming your way that you need to be aware of it could be a person that's trying to cheat or or do something wrong but we listen and and God's voice is very quiet this is the way walk you in it you know and he doesn't come yelling and hollering and which is you know, most of us want that. You know, we want God to just come in yelling into our life and making so much noise that we can't help but listen to him. But he wants us to be listening for his voice. It's said that the best servants for, for an individual learn the little signs from their, from their master on when to serve them. You know, when, when am I going ready to need them? And they just look for that little things that that person does. You know, they're not trying to ring bells and, and blow whistles. You know, if it's a good servant, they know exactly when to be there. And until then, they're out of the way, not you know, observing. And God wants us to be good servants. 
to know when he wants something done. And just because we're paying close attention to him. If he has to ring bells and, and blow whistles, then we're not really being good servants. And here he says, you know, don't let the proud oppress me. Don't let them defraud me. It says verse 21, 23, my eyes fail for your sal salvation and for the word of your righteousness. And this word fail means that to be brought to an end. My eyes are just waiting for, the, for your salvation to be fulfilled, be complete. Not fail as in fall away, but he's then, I'm looking for the completion. The completion of your salvation. Uh, you know, how many times have we seen where we're just looking for God? God, what is it that you're doing? I'm waiting for the end. I'm waiting for the end, end game. Uh, if you play something like chess, I love to play chess. You know, uh, or used to love to play. I haven't played very much lately, but there's, a, there's three parts if you know how to play chess. There's the beginning game, the middle game, and then the end game. And most people lose in the middle game instead of the end game because that's when things can happen. The end game gets pretty easy, pretty obvious. You almost always know who's going to win when you get to the end game because somebody's got the got the more pieces, they've got, they've got the, the other person on the run. Uh, where you usually see the biggest surprise wins come to be in the, in the middle game. And if you're playing really beginners, you might lose in the beginning game, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's, very, that's really tough to lose in the beginning game if you, know, if you play the game. He's basically saying here, you know, I'm waiting for that end. I'm waiting for the end. How are you going to finally bring this together and I want to see the end? Complete the salvation. Watching, yeah, it's, you know, I, I want to see the end. I'm waiting for the end. And it says, for, for the word of your righteousness. How hungry are we for God's word? You know, we talked a little bit about that this morning. How hungry do we get for his word? Do I, as I'm saying, as he says here, my eyes are waiting for the end game. You know, am I waiting for the completion of your word? You know, and we really need to get to where we are just hungry for God's word. We just can't wait to find out more about his word, get to, get to know more of his word. And I, I love it when I'm studying God's word and I'm going, wow, this is so exciting. And, and I learned something new. Do you realize that the word of God is what lasts forever? His word lasts forever. This creation that he created is not going to last forever. It's going to come to an end. The, the evil that we have to deal with is going to come to an end. Sometimes we can't wait for it to get to an end, but it's going to come to an end. He's made that promise. It's going to end. Because at the end of the millennial kingdom, everything in this world will be destroyed other than the word. And we'll remember it all. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's debate on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tend to believe that we will, but because we, but be, and we'll see it from his side, and we'll understand why things happen, and it won't affect us in a negative way. Other people believe that there's no way we can remember this world no, no, and no, not no, think. Not uh, oh, I hope so. Yeah. 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 I also think that we'll be studying it for the rest of our lives and, and all through heaven. All through heaven. Won't it kind of be the marriage? The marriage. Won't the words be something then that's like our hair, our eyes? It will be a part ingrained into us. I won't have to worry about, do I, will I remember what I just got through reading? Because it's so important. I don't think you'll forget what you've been taught, no. 
because you'll have a redeemed mind that will remember everything. But I also believe that we'll be learning. What is the most important part of this world that we live in is learning. Okay, that is the most important thing that goes on in this world, and I cannot picture anything going on forever where that doesn't involve learning. I think we'll be learning about God for the rest of our lives, and that's part of what we'll be ruling over. Those who have learned his word and, and studied his word in their lifetime will get to teach all through eternity, and they'll be taught. The tree of life. There's time and seasons in heaven. Just not the same time and seasons yeah. we're used to. But, and I don't really understand how he says the leaves will be healing for the nation. Well, whatever that means, there'll, there'll be some kind of lean, there'll be some kind of learning, and there'll be healing. When you really read in the Bible about heaven, heaven's a quite a different picture than what we think of. The new heaven and earth seems to have commerce and activity and and rules and and everything just no evil the world was created to have work adam and eve were created to work to tend the garden to have no have no imperfections but to have work and i can't imagine what it means to work without but you know by the same token i also know what it's like to really enjoy my job so much that it doesn't feel like work I've been very fortunate in my life to do three jobs that I never really considered them to be work until after a while they got kind of to be drudgery. But I've also, during the peak of those times, look, this is so much fun. I, I get to do this job. When we hand our time in heaven, it'll be just that. Wow, I get to do this job today. Isn't it wonderful I get to do this? Which is why God said that you're to rest one day in seven. Quit playing at your work and just rest and worship him. Which is why sometimes I meet people, well, I'm not working. I enjoy doing this hard labor on my day off. God says, relax one day a week and focus completely on him. But we're not, if we do that, we re, we relax doing this work we have. Are we really in his rest with him? No. Uh, no. Because I'm doing something that I love. I'm not focused on him. And it's very important that we understand that. It's not just, okay, I'm just not laboring. Adam and Eve, I'm sure, had no problem laboring in the garden for however long it was. You know, and again, I've, I've always wondered how hard it was to work in a perfect garden that didn't ever have anything spoiled, didn't have anything die. Uh, I think I want to put a tree right here. I think we need a tree right here. It might make it look better. You know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no weeds to pull, no thorns to pull, nothing was dying. You know. So in that case, you almost had to say, okay, I want you to quit playing for one day a week. You know, quit playing with all this stuff and pay attention to me this one day a week. And very important for us to understand that God wants us just to take one day off, even if you totally enjoy life, and just focus on him which should be, should be playing in and of itself. It's just a different type of playing. He doesn't say so, but in the evenings too, because he came in the cool of the evenings, every evening, to visit with them and, and to hear what their day was about. And like, I think he did a lot of teaching during the cool of the evening with them on person. Can you imagine God being your direct teacher? No, no. I created, he created everything, and he's telling you exactly how everything works. It's, it's a very amazing thing 
how much knowledge there is of this world that there's no way that could have been understood by, by them. And I don't know if, if you've ever heard me tell this, but the days of the week are named after the planets in the order that they are from the sun. In every single language except Hebrew, who doesn't name the days. Now, kind of a bizarre thought. How did the ancient people know the planets in their order? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday are the planets of the sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, <laughs> all the way through. From the, from the ancient languages, they're named after the planets. Oh, okay. Not English, but we... Not, well, no, oh. but even in English, uh, they come from the same, same root words. But they're named after the planets. And they're associated with the planets. Before men were supposed to know about the planets. It's an amazing thing that God has shown all this detail out there and taught man how to do these things. And it's just a fun thing to watch and say, God, wow, what, what knowledge you gave us. And it's wonderful to know that he is the master teacher. That he named the stars. We sang the song the morning. That he named the stars. He knows the names of all the stars. And we've talked about this. The book that I read many years ago, The Gospel and the Stars, when you look at the names of the stars from their ancient names from Babylon beyond, you see the gospel message. In the names of the stars, in the, in the constellations of the stars, you see the gospel message. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story that God has given us this information. And he says the heavens will declare his mercy. And when you start looking at that and you start looking that the gospel is right in the stars, they could look up in the sky and go, all right, let's tell you the story. Here's Virgo the virgin. She has her child who's a who's the joint heirs with God, who's a God who's going to destroy the, the, the serpent. Because do you realize if you look at the stars, Orion, the constellation Orion, his foot is over the head of the serpent, ready to strike his heel. In the stars. And it's an amazing thing when you see it. A lot of pastors don't like to talk about the gospel in the stars because they start thinking, well, that's going to lead people into astrology. Astrology is Satan's lie of God's story written in the sky. Okay, Satan does not create lies unless there's a reality behind it. Never counterfeit a $3 bill unless you're a total idiot. Let me counterfeit $3 bills and try to pass them around. Uh, you know, here, I'll pay you my bill with this $3 bill. I, well, are you insane? Satan does not counterfeit anything that doesn't have a real thing to begin with. So we've got to keep that in mind. Because there is astrology, the stuff about the history of the gospel being printed in the stars shows us that it has to be true because Satan wouldn't counterfeit it otherwise. So we look at this and says the heavens declare his glory is more than just showing his majesty and his power. It literally shows salvation in the gospel message. Speaking the gospel, when you know what those stars' names are, when you know the true history behind the constellations' history, it, it is the gospel. 
Virgo the Virgin, in her second declension, she's holding a baby and she's still called the Virgin. All right? And all the way around, it ends at Leo the Lion, the, the righteous king. Orion with his foot over the serpent, ready to strike at the enemy. Uh, the Libra, the scales. One star is the price deficient and the price sufficient. Okay? And it talks about the works, of, works involved in it. Everything about God's message is right there. Can you imagine if you knew in the early days what all those stars meant and you're watching? Yes, he's going to come. Look at that. He's going to come as a child and he's going to have a dual nature and there's the price that's not sufficient. Look at that. There's, he said that, you were, that he was going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent was going to crush, snack, snatch his heel. And there it is. He's, he's got his foot over the serpent's, serpent's head and the serpent's ready to strike him. He's, look at all this. And the gospel just crosses over the sky in front of you. Abraham would have understood this. Well, it came from Adam. He told Adam, even before he could see the stars, practically. You know, the stars and everything are so much more up there than we want to give them understand in our day and age. And God says, I'm here. Here's my beauty. Here's my gospel message showing to you every night. Here's the gospel message coming to you every night. If you just know how to read it. Very powerful that God has put his, put his story from the very beginning. You know, we've got to understand, even when Adam and Eve fell, God had already had the plan in place in the stars that were already in place. Said, you're going to fall and here's my redemptive story. You're, Eve, you're going to have a, a son that eventually the serpent will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. Speaking of Jesus, already in the stars ahead of them. <laughs> yeah. And his plan was in place even before they fell. It was not all of a sudden, well, now what are we going to do now? They fell. You know, it was like before the foundation of the world, they, they got together and said, okay, we're going to create these men. They're going to fail, and son, you're going to go down and die for them. And we're going to plaster it in the sky <laughs> even before they fall that this is going to happen. Usually to tell you, do you know what it is that you're going to say? Adam and Eve, where are you? You've got an opportunity here to confess and come before me in repentance, or you're going to continue to hide and make me find you. You know, Job, where were you when I did all these things? Okay, Job, are you going to finally, you know, come off your high horse and, and, and repent? Well, they could have made they could have repented without having been there. I think the results still would have been the same because they had sinned, but maybe less punishment if they had not had to been found. Oftentimes, if we come up, up on our own will, and it's the same thing maybe we've done with our own kids sometimes. Uh, what did you do? Nothing. Uh, I know you did something. What did you do? Nothing. Well, this is what you did, and now you're really in trouble because you wouldn't okay. confess and, and, and repent. Uh, you were just going to be a little bit in trouble. Now you're really in trouble. And a lot of times God will do this with us. Uh, where are you? Come out of hiding. Come talk to me and, and repent. Or am I, are you going to make me find you and drag you out of your hiding place? 
you know, he wants to speak with a still small voice as opposed to the strong, loud, disciplining voice. Even, even when they were drug out, they still did not admit. And, and Adam was worse of all because he pointed to both of them. He goes, God, God the woman you gave me. So God, <laughs> you guys did it. God, she did it. And by the way, God, you really did it. You're the one that gave her to me. So really, if she wasn't for her, I would have never done this. So God, it's really your fault. But how much do we still hear that, though, from people? It's God's fault that all bad things happen, even though man makes decisions and we make our own decision. But yet it's God's fault because he gave this the ability to make the decision. We're pointing in every direction, including God, including God. And that's what Adam did. He pointed both directions. He goes, you know, well, it's her fault, but God, it's really your fault. You gave her to me. If you hadn't given her to me, God, none of this would have ever happened. I would never have eaten from that tree if you hadn't given me her to, to tempt me. What I, what I see lately is that I see Hillary Clinton do this a lot. Pointing like 10 different directions. It's human nature to blame somebody else, and we know that from Adam and Eve. It's human nature not to accept it, not to accept, not to accept it. People, people usually won't humble themselves, period. It's just the way we are. You know, everybody else is wrong, not me. And we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to have done something wrong. We don't like to have gotten caught. We don't necessarily mind admitting that we've done wrong things. We just don't want to get caught doing the wrong. Again, it's, it's what we do as human beings. We don't like to take blame. We don't like to, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we're suffering from whatever it is that we deserve. It's much easier to blame others, to, to, not dis, to, try, to try to make it somebody else's fault and not our fault. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It kind of goes all the way back to Satan. You know, he brought down... You know, he sinned with the desire to basically covet. He wanted to be like God and was judged and never has really accepted that he did anything wrong. All he wanted to do was be like God. You know, it's, and so that sin has been swept through ever since. And Satan, is even to this day, is looking to the day that he thinks he can somehow win. He knows he's going to lose. He's been beat at the cross. He's been, he was thrown out of heaven. He was beat at the cross. And God has already prophesied that he will be defeated. And yet, why is he trying to destroy Israel? Because if he can destroy Israel, the prophecies stop. Plain and simple. Why did he try to destroy Israel before Jesus was born? Because if he could destroy Israel, the seed of Abraham that was going to be the deliverance of the people who, through whom all the world was going to be blessed, he would have stopped the Messiah from being born. Now that he couldn't stop the Messiah from being born, now he has to try to destroy Israel so that the end time prophecies won't come true. Because if he can in any way change God's plan, then he can say, see, I won. God, you cannot make happen what you said was going to happen, and I've won. And that won't happen. We know it won't happen because God won't let it happen. He won't give him that much leeway and freedom. But if he had his option, and, you know, and this is why when people say Satan can do whatever he wants in this world, no, he cannot do whatever he wants in this world. When God said that in the book of Job that Satan appeared before him to ask for permission to, to, to harm Job, it's not just Job 
And it's not just Christians that need permission. He needs permission to hurt and kill anybody. Why? Because if he had carte blanche to do whatever he wants in this world, the entire population of this world be, would be destroyed because that's what he would want to end. He'd want to end the entire population of the world because that would stop any chance of the book of Revelation coming true. He would kill everybody and God's not going to allow him. He has to ask permission to do anything. See that heart comes back to him to like the Nazis was trying to trying to Jews. trying to destroy the Jews was to try to end the race so that the revelation could not happen. There would not be a, a third temple. All this material is spiritually generated, even though we don't want to look at it. Much of the storms and, and bad things that happen are God trying to get people's attention, especially when they become really severe, like things are starting to get. And there's a lot of people catching flack for that, but I'm sorry, it is true. The severity of the storms that we're having, the, the severity of earthquakes we're having, the severity of the tornadoes that are coming out in places that never see a tornado, you know, that never see these storms, never see earthquakes, is God saying, start paying attention. Just as he did in the Old Testament. It's man's way, so they blame it on Well, they blame it on kinds of stuff. Well, they're trying to blame it on anything but God. When you say that it's God trying to wake us up, you get, you get laughed at. That these earthquakes, these tornadoes, we're seeing earthquakes where places don't get earthquakes. We're seeing tornadoes all over where people don't see tornadoes. God is trying to get attention of his people and say, wake up. And we need to see this waking up of people. And God's people have got to start getting bold and sharing the gospel of Christ. Because the sad thing is, how many churches do not encourage their people to go share the gospel? Hundreds of them, thousands of them in America are not encouraging their people to go share the, share the gospel. And that is sad. Many churches are, you know, at best you might be encouraged to bring people to church. And that is even not very common. It's almost like, you know, well, we're in our church. We're, it's just our little group, and we're just happy with what we have, so let's not worry about the rest of the world. We'll just let them go to hell because we're just happy being our little, little group. Our call is to give the gospel out. And, you know, it's amazing when you say, you know, we need to share gospel, and you see the look of horror on people's face. You want me to share Jesus with my friends? You want me to share Jesus with my family? Well, what do you want? You want them to go to hell? You know, these are your friends and family, and you want them to go to hell? You know, it's bad enough you might not care about a stranger. But, you know, we've got to reach out and touch people with the gospel of Christ. That's the whole reason we're still on this world. If God didn't want us going out and sharing the gospel, he would just say, okay, time to go home. You got saved? Come home. He does not really need us to give the gospel. Angels can preach the gospel, declare the gospel message. He doesn't need us. He uses us when we get the privilege of sharing the gospel with people. Being an open epistle to people that people can read and say, that's what a Christian's supposed to be like. Sharing the gospel with people and bringing them to Christ, getting that privilege to bring them into the family. Oh, man, we just have to look at it as a privilege and quit rejecting it. Share the gospel. Teach others. And it's an amazing thing. The early church in Jerusalem lived together not because they wanted to. They didn't pool everything together because they wanted to or even that it was commanded. 
It's they were just so broke because if you were a Jew and you became a Christian, your family had a ceremony saying you were dead. Nobody, if you owned a business, nobody went to your business because you were dead. You had returned your back on Judaism. And so they pooled together what resources they had and tried to live. There may come a time when we will be pulling our resources together as Christians and saying, okay, I've got a house. Uh, you've, got, you've got the ability to hunt and you've got the ability to, to grow food from the ground and you've got an ability to, to organize and help everybody figure out what they're going. And we may end up having three or four families in one house because that's the only person that has a house that's, that is, hasn't been taken back from the bank. Who knows what's going to happen because it's going to get interesting here in the very near future for Christians. We're already seeing the beginning rushes of it. We must get ready for what's coming. We're going to find persecution in this country, but we're going to see persecution come into Christians. We're already seeing it, the edges of it. Fox's Book of Martyrs is full of Christians who give their life for Christ during persecution. But this is why this morning's message is so important. What did Paul say? This is light affliction for the weight compared to the weight of glory coming. No matter what happens to us in this world, if our mind is on what God has promised us in the future, it doesn't matter what he does today. It doesn't matter what goes on in my life today, even if, and I said it this morning, let's say I manage to live till I'm 300 years old and I go through nothing but pure hell, Literally pure hell. I'm always being beat. I don't have anything. I'm starving. I barely have enough food to keep myself alive. And I do that for 300 until I'm 300. What is that compared to eternity with God and the blessings that he has for us in the future? If I'm just focused on this world, I'm going to be miserable if that happens. But if I'm focused on this is all for you, God, and you've got rewards coming for me when I get to heaven, you're going to reward me for everything that I've gone through for you, then I go through it and and I stay content. But if my mind is focused on this world, and I'm having troubles, I'm going to be, God, you're just miserable to me. I don't know why you're letting all this stuff happen to me. And And I'm going to be griping and complaining my entire life. Because my mind isn't focused on eternity. The Christians have turned this world upside down by being focused on eternity. God, you've got a blessing for us in the future. You care for people, so therefore we're going to reach out. During the early church, it, it amazed so many Roman garrisons because when a town would end up with, with plagues and hardships, there would be many of them writing to Caesar, all of the healthy are out except for this one group of crazy people that followers of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they will not leave because they just want to, they're, they're putting their life on the line to minister, you know, to, for these people. We don't understand them. They're, they're nuts. You know, and there's versions of that all through Roman, Roman centurions reports. We can't get these Christians out of this place. They just won't leave. They, you know, they know their life is on, on the line, but they won't leave. Matter of fact, they're going into the town. And so many people are here saying, well, I've got to just be blessed. You know, God, you've got to make me rich. You've got to give me all these blessings. And God's saying, I want you to pour out your life for others. I want you to sacrifice what you desire for others. And it's been my thought as I've been looking at this for the last couple weeks. How are we as a church supposed to minister to the people in this town? And it's going to end up meaning that we get 
messily involved with their lives, breaking cycles of sin and degradation by showing them what God says, bringing God's word into their life. And it's going to be messy at times. We're going to be involved ministering to people that some people don't want to be even seen around because of their lifestyles. And God is saying we need to be able to reach into those lives and bring a change to them, a godly change to them. Come into the disease-ridden town that everybody's leaving to minister Christ to those people and try to change their lives. It's going to be a very interesting world that we have to deal with. Verse 124, deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am so glad that God deals with us after mercy. In mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then, as he comes in and doesn't give us what we deserve, he goes and reminds us of what he wanted us to do. Have you ever been in a place where God has just said, I'm, not, I'm forgiving you, but don't do it again type deal? Here's, here's what you've broken. You've broken these rules. Where you've been walking along, you know, doing your thing, and then all of a sudden you hear some pastor or teacher say, teaching the word, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, uh-oh. Uh, God, I've been doing just what they said I'm not supposed to. God, I never noticed that verse. And God says, yep, I've been very merciful to you. Start living according. Start living according to what I'm just teaching you. Oh, how many times has that happened to me over the last 40 years? You know, God, uh, wow, I've been doing that. <laughs> Thank you, God, for not destroying me. And God and David saying, teach, you know, thank you for dealing with me after mercy. I am so thankful for God's mercy and his grace. You know, he doesn't give us what we deserve. And it is so wonderful that he, that he treats us so mercifully. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Give me understanding. Let me understand what it is that you want me to know, God. Teach me. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. God, what are you saying? What do, what do you want me to know? God, teach me to know you. And you know, that's what all the person is. How do we change the way we think? We get into God's word and have our way, way, way changed. And start understanding what God expects and what he wants. You know, and people will say, well, if I don't know, then I'm not accountable. No, I really truly believe that God will hold you accountable for what you're supposed to know. So just avoiding God's word to try to not know is not going to be the way out. <laughs> because God's going to say, well, if you had gone to church like I had wanted you to be, in the church that I told you to be in, with the pastor I told you to be in, you would have heard this and you would have known better. And he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can know that well, you should have known something. Because he knows all things from the beginning to the end, and he knows what you were supposed to have known. But you know, we've got to understand, God is so wonderful. God is so good. And he's good all the time. When we have things going on in our life that we think are bad, and we've shared this so many times, when we think it's bad, God has still got a purpose in it, and he's got a plan. Because he's good. And he's trying to teach us something. Trying to get our attention. And what has God got to do to get our attention? Sometimes he's got to beat us over the head with a two-by-four. Sometimes he has to give us a talking donkey. I'm so dumb, I've got to let the animal talk, teach me. <laughs> you know, 
And Balaam was an amazing guy, you know. To have a conversation with his donkey just just, just blows me away, you know. You know, the donkey starts talking to him, and he just talks to the donkey like this happens every day. I talk to my donkey every day. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he's like many of these people that talk to their cats and dogs, you know. And but you know, and I don't think they expect their cat and dog to talk back to them in re, in real in really speak words to them. But Balaam talked to his donkey like this happens every day. You know, this happens all the time. But you know, how stupid do you have to be that you know you're not even listening to the two by four? You've got to have a donkey talk to you. And here we say, you know, God is, says, teach me. Verse 126, it is time for you, Lord, to work, for they have made void your law. Oh, this is so much like our day. People have ignored God's word. They've ignored his laws. And we're watching God start working. He's trying to get people's attention. All of what's going on in this world right now is... Pay attention to me, God saying. Mine says it is time for you to act, oh Lord. Your law has been broken. Making his law void is much stronger, though, than broken. Void means to make to make totally worthless. It's much more than broken. God, they have made your law worthless. Absolutely nothing. Void. If you void a receipt out, it's it does it is as if it never existed. It's considered, it's considered not sin, not a problem. Yeah, it's, it, doesn't, it never existed. God, they have made it that your laws don't exist. That's our world. That is our world right now, saying, God, your laws don't exist. They're, they're, not, they're not important. And it says, God, you need to act. Because the world is saying you're, that, you, that your laws are just don't exist. They're not, they're not there. Very strong. That's why broken is not a good word in, that, in this sense because his words haven't been broken. They have been voided. God, your, your laws are not even, we don't even recognize that they exist. We're voiding them. They never existed and we're not going to deal with them. And God says, I'm going to, and, and God says, uh, and David is saying, work. 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. We've talked about this before. If anybody other than somebody like David or Solomon had said this, we'd go, well, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, if you have enough money, that's really more important than gold. David, one of the wealthiest men of his day, is saying, God, your word is more important than all the riches that I have. Even the really fine gold, God, your, your, your word is more important than. I want it more. Is that the way we usually think? And we want to say yes, but you know, not always. How many people will skip church so that they can earn a paycheck? You know, I did this myself when I was younger. Start missing church so that I could earn the paycheck, so that I could support my family. I mean, good motives. God, I got to do this because my family needs it. Sometimes we're not given a choice. There's always a choice. It's just a matter of what you want. You may lose your job because of it. But again, this is something that we have to look at. There's always a choice in front of us. It's do we want to do it or not? Oftentimes we'll say, well, I didn't have a choice. And God's going to say, yes, you did. You always have a choice. Now, sometimes it's hard. The, the results of your choice may be something that you don't want to face. And in our day and world, it's hard not to work on a Sunday. It's very hard to not work on a Sunday. 
because most of the places are open on Sundays. But the question is, are you willing to make a stand saying, I won't do it? You know, Truett Cathy, who's the founder of Chick-fil-A, made a choice that he was not going to open his restaurants on Sunday. Now, if you know anything about the mall, the world of the malls, you cannot get into a mall without agreeing to be open seven days a week. But he never opened even his stores that were in malls on Sundays. And in the early days, he wrote into the contract that if he couldn't outsell the other restaurants being open six days a week, that he would open his stores on Sundays. He never had to fulfill that, that promise to open on Sunday because God always has made his stores the most profitable restaurants in the entire food malls. And now they don't even worry about it. If you want a Chick-fil-A in your, in your mall, you know that they're not going to be open on Sundays. Period. End of story. You know. Oh, that's still, is that way? Oh, yeah. They don't open their stores on Sundays. Holly Lobby closes on Sundays. Yeah, they, but they're not in malls, but they don't open on Sundays either. And they, and they, and then they outsell everybody out there. They outsell everybody in the, in their market because they're honoring God and God is honoring them. So the question is, will we make a stand for God and not compromise and say, I'm willing to put my trust in you, God. Not everybody's willing to do that. And when we start making compromises, one compromise leads to another compromise, which leads to another compromise, and it makes it very difficult. When I worked in the restaurants that were open on Sundays, I basically told my managers, I will work Sunday nights. And I pretty much stuck to that, other than that period of time when I went crazy working. And, but for the longest time, I told them, I won't work Sunday morning. And it was a stand, you know, I was compromised a little bit, I guess, you know, and it led to a huge, huger decision to finally, you know, you walk away from God for a while because I was so busy working too many hours. But each little time that we sacrifice something that God tells us to do is a sacrifice. Now, I tell people, I'm not going to tell you not to work on Sunday at all, but are you coming to church some other time of the week? You know, in our church, it's pretty easy. You, sh you know, somebody tells me they cannot make it to church here in, in this church and, and listen to a Bible study, there's something wrong with their life. To be preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, when, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, and you can't make a single study, you've got some problems in your life if, that, if you can't make any of those. And a lot of Saturdays I'm here, so... Where is our standard? Where are we willing to say, this is, this is my line. I'm not going to go beyond that line. If I worked at a place that kept me from going to church at all, I would stop going to that. I would, I would not take that job. And I have taken a position at times when I just stepped back and said, I cannot do this job because, you, uh, because they were t going too far. They were pushing it way too far and asking me to do things that just weren't that I could not do. And I told one guy, I go, no, I'm not going to do that. Verse 127, therefore, I love your commandments above gold and, and above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all your precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I esteem, I lift up your precepts, God's precepts, his way of thinking. We've talked about this before, his way of thinking above all things. 
do I put God's thoughts first in all things? Not necessarily for many people. When God says something, we need to lift it up and say, God, you are true and every man's a liar. God, you are true. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Your word is true. And this goes down to what uh, Dr. McGee used to say, you know, where I and God disagree, God's word is right. I esteem your word above all things, God, and I hate every false way because your word is true. Is it what God says? Is it what God wants me to do? Because yes, that'll make him happy, but when you start putting the word happy in there, God is never going to be more pleased or less pleased with you by what you do. Because he's already forgiven you. He's made you perfect. All he sees when he sees you is his son. He just wants us to live the way he wants us to live. There's consequences for disobeying God's word. Always. And if we obey his word, there's good consequences. There's consequences for obeying his word, but they're good, they're good consequences. And we don't usually think of consequences being... <laughs> being on the good side, but there's consequences for being obedient to God's word and it's the blessings and the good things that come our way because we're obedient. But if I esteem his word, now how do I esteem his word? I better know it. <laughs> I've got to know his word to lift it up and hate the faults. Do you really come to the place where you hate the false ways? You know, I, I am getting so much to this point, and I share it with you all the time. All the different TV shows and movies that I see and that, that esteem evil, esteem ways that are against God that people entertain themselves with. You know, do you find things that are against God's word to be entertaining and funny? You know, think about when you listen to jokes, the shows you watch. Do you find things that are making fun of marriage funny. And the sad thing is, many Christians do. I remember even when I was younger, when people would say, well, I got to go home to the ball and chain, you know, or the battle axe. I'm going, I thought you loved your wife. I do. Well, how can you say something so derogatory about your wife who you say you love? Or your husband that you, that you say you love? Why would you even begin to think that way? It's supposed to sound cute, you know, and, you know and, and how bad marriage is supposed to be. It's locking you up from being able to go out and have fun with everybody else or whatever, whatever mentality they were looking at, I don't know. But even, even when I was a teenager, I'm going, how could you say that kind of stuff? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's hurtful and it's, you know, and it's derogatory and it doesn't lift up what God, it doesn't esteem what God says is, is good. We've got to be able to say, God, this is what you say is good. I'm going to stand with what you say is good. Which means I'm not going to be finding what other people think are funny is funny. I'm not going to be laughing at, at what, other, you know, what, what makes fun of what God says is serious. Now, you know, and I put these little cute comics and stuff up on there, you know, but I'm not looking, I'm never going to make fun of marriage. I'll make fun of church because church is funny sometimes. You know, what we do in church is funny. You know, the things we do in church are kind of funny sometimes when you think, especially when you look at the Bible. You know, the things that we think are important sometimes when we look at the Bible and go, you know, what, what? And I think Jesus made a lot of fun of things. You know, how are you going to take the splinter out of your, friend, your, your, your brother's eye when you've got this log that's smacking him upside the head as you're trying to look into his eye? That was, he was making fun of them. You know, there's many things, you know, you know hey, Peter, you know, this truth is, is a big stone and your name is Peter, little rock. 
Okay. Or a talking donkey. Or a talking donkey. He's many things that God does that says, I'm going to make some fun of what you guys are thinking are very important, but I'm going to also be very serious on certain things. God was laughing when that donkey was talking to him, and he actually... Oh, probably. Probably. I think God's, God's got a sense of humor that he saw the humor, that he saw the humor in it. Well, what, what did I have to do to make you listen to me? Wow, you know, it's... Uh, Yeah, you, you wouldn't listen to me, and I had to actually talk to you through this donkey. And, you know, listen to that donkey. But, you know, it's interesting that, that God, what has, God has to do. Oh, there's lots of humor in There's lots of humor in God's Word. There's lots of humor in the way that he does it. There's lots of things that he will teach us, and it's a matter of that there is humor, and I have no problem with humor. It's not humor that I find a problem with. I love humor. I love clean jokes. I, I can even make fun of being a Christian and, and the walk that we have as long as we're not making fun of something that God says is serious and holy. When he talks about marriage and family, he's talking about a holy institution that should not be the butt of a joke that is out there, in my opinion. Especially marriage. Family might be one thing because there's things that are funny in a family. But, you know, if you're going to make fun of the father, the head of the family, and make him look like a joke, I have problems with that. Or even the mom. And this is how our world started with its humor in its recent days. They made fun of the fathers. They made the fathers a joke. Mom was then head of the family and doing everything, which was, in one sense, I understand. It was a reflection of what was going on in the world. The father was out making, making money away from the family, and the mother was running it. Then we started going to the next generation of problem where mom and dad are both idiots, where the kids are the ones that are smart and everybody else is dumb in the family. And now we're in a place where even our commercials are showing the kids trying to teach parents car commercials nowadays. It's the kids going in telling them all the good things about a car because mom and dad are so stupid, they can't go buy a car on their own. They need their kids to tell them how to. But the whole process, though, is Adult stupid, kid smart. And your government is doing the same thing with a lot of their PSAs. You know, kids, go home and tell your parents about how they need to be recycling and caring about the economy because they're really too stupid. They may not say stupid, but they just don't know. You are the smart ones. You're the ones being taught by the government school to think the government way. You go home and you tell your parents that they need to be doing this stuff. But it's been said, whoever controls the, stu the kids controls the next generation. And our government's running under the same mentality. And all governments are. If you can get hold of the kids, because kids don't do analytical thinking, they don't do, they just believe what they're told. Everything is being turned upside down on it. In the family, the father is supposed to be the head of the household by God's standard. Now whether that's what people want or not, it's another story altogether. God want, that's the standard that God put. He put the husband in charge of the family. The world has been shifting it around to now the kids, are, the kids are being shown in charge of the family. We look at this and it's bad enough that it's on our prime time when, when adults watch it. Start watching some of the kids shows. Right, there's cartoons. Not just the cartoons. The kids shows that are designed for kids. Almost anything on Disney shows kids smart, parents dumb, Kids running the family for all practical purposes, and mom and dad having, you know, being, you know, as cute as some of those shows are, when you look at what they're really saying, 
It's like, whoa, what is, you know, and then we wonder why our kids are so disrespectful of adults. Because they get a steady diet of kids telling parents and being in charge of their families. And then they try to do it in real life and they wonder why the adults don't react the same way as the stupid kid, the adults on the TV show do. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, they're not following the script. You know, I don't understand these, 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 my boss won't let me tell them what to do. Because they watch the kids on the TV show tell the boss that they're not going to come to work that day and then they don't lose their job. And then they wonder why they lost their job. Yeah, because it was real. Because this is real life. This isn't, this isn't the TV show where you can just get away with what you want to get. But you know, we're having our kids get a steady diet of things that are anti-God and don't work in real life. And then they went and it confuses the kids because the kids have seen it on TV all their life and they've seen that smart mouth stuff. They've seen the, all these different people in their, in their examples, and I don't know the newest shows, but I know they're, they're following the same path and worse because uh, I don't have any kids and I don't have the, the cable anymore, but I know that that's what's happening. Uh, my daughter was telling me that she told her friend, you know, you got to stop your child from, from watching this show. And they go, why? Because just what you complained about is, is what they watched on TV. The garbage that they're being fed with is exactly what they're trying to live out. And then we wonder why they're so disrespectful, why they don't under, understand. And they really, truly don't understand when adults come back and say there's a consequence for your action because that's not what they see on TV. They don't see a consequence for the action. But, you know, we did it the same thing all through the generation that we grew up in. How much adultery and fornication did we watch on television that had no consequence? You know, you love anybody you want, there's no consequence, you know. Uh, Unless you're watching a murder show, and then the adultery always had a consequence. You usually, you yeah. usually, usually died. But, but other than that, you know, the rest of the shows, you know, unless it was a murder mystery, you know, you didn't see consequences for those actions. There's consequences for every action that we do, every sin that we do, every action we do has a consequence, and we've got to understand that it's a consequence. And the world is trying to set us up that there are no consequences, and yet, in reality, there's consequences. And when they truly, truly believe that there's no consequences, and all of a sudden they get a consequence, it really freaks them out. We're going to close here and close in prayer, and we can talk after this if we want. Okay. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you care for us. Lord, we ask you to help us to understand there is consequences, there is activities, but help us to fall in love with your word and your ways and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.